You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Buddy Bubba's and Boo Boo Bears, <laughs> welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 46, and I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your bubbly bulk of bumbling buccaneers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. Without further ado, let's jump into our general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. And here I have a random Trivial Pursuit card, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers, and let's get ready to rumble. Blue Edge Geography, what country is home to Corfu, Corinth, and Rhodes? That's Greece. Correct. Pink Wedge for pop culture. What U.S. government agency's anti-piracy warnings appear at the beginning of most DVDs? FBI. It is the FBI. Food and Drug Administration's anti-piracy. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow Wedge. What was the first country to build and operate an underground railway system? Chris. Rome. Or Italy. <laughs> Incorrect. Rome. Not a country. In- incorrect. I have no idea. Um, was it England? It was England. The oh, underground. Okay. Yep. The tube. Purple Wedge. What eccentric Canadian pianist, renowned for his Bach interpretations, had 32 short <laughs> films made about him in 1993? How do you guys know this? Glenn Gould. Yes. The collection was titled 32 Short Films About Glenn Gould. Yeah. Yes. I know this because of The Simpsons. Green Wedge for Science. <laughs> what is the common name of the plant that blooms only once Every four to ten years with a flower that smells like putrefying meat. <laughs> As we've discussed on these very podcast recordings, uh, the death corpse plant. Sorry, the yes, corpse flower. It is the corpse plant. Last question, Orange Wedge. What former heavyweight boxing champion was also the first African-American golfer to compete in a PGA-sanctioned event? Hmm. It's not recent. Jack yeah. Donson. I think that's a good guess. Jack, uh, incorrect. Mm. Good guess, though. Jeez, uh, Joe Lewis? Joe Lewis. Huh. He nice. broke the color line at the 1952 San Diego Open. That's a really good trivia question. Yep. Wow. Sports trivia. 1952. Wow. wow. So he was good at boxing and golf. All right. Good job, brains. And today's episode, we're going to talk about all things that are cold. Cold. Cool. <laughs> And icy. Oh, it's cold out there. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been, been hoping that you drop so in. Very nice. I'll hold your hands there just like my life will stop. <laughs> We're such wimps. We live in like I know. the <laughs> most temperate part of the whole country. Right, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but on a cold January day like today, there's nothing I want less than an icy cold beverage. Ooh. That is absolutely the bottom of the list of things I want. <laughs> but I would like to talk about ice. So let me ask you guys a question. Before we could do such things like walk into the kitchen and just pull some ice out of the freezer... Mm. 
where did ice come from? Like, where where did we get our ice? A, a man brought it to your house. Where did the man get the ice? Where <laughs> where do you think up until the mid eighteen hundreds? Where did we get our ice? Canada. There must be some sort of storage. Did they, did unit. they cut it out of blocks in icy places? Yeah, that's essentially yeah. what they did. They right. uh, our ice came from frozen rivers and frozen lakes, yeah. frozen bodies of fresh water, and sure. they would literally go down and cut out as large chunks as they could, mm-hmm. and cut it up into smaller chunks, and then transport it. Right. It's it's as simple as that. You wouldn't put it in your drink, right? It wasn't like you were taking this chunk, these chunks of ice and like filling up your ice soda tea. or your iced tea or, well, or whatnot. Well, it's a with it. really, really interesting story. It has so many oh, more man. layers to it than I, I would have ever guessed I before I started wait. looking into this. So uh, there is a lake in Massachusetts called Lake Wenham. Currently, it's it's a reservoir and it, it services Boston. But this tiny little lake is sort of the the birth of the modern ice industry. Really? In 1844, the Wenham Lake Ice Company set up shop selling ice and advertising ice services for delivery. That they just grab from the lake. That they would get from the lake. Okay. Now, this is even more impressive when I tell you that the Wenham Lake Ice Company was in London. It was not <laughs> in Massachusetts. <laughs> It was thousands of miles what? away from Lake Wenham. Okay. Yes. So okay. it's just such a great story. So Who did they sell it to? The English? To, or, the, um, to the British. That's really? right. To the British. And it was a high class affair. It I was, know it must have been. So one of the things that they would routinely have in the front window was just this huge, transparent, almost perfectly clear block of ice yeah. just sitting there to show because it was a marvel of people walking by. Where do you get this chunk of ice? It right. was, you couldn't right. just go pull it out of your of freezer. Course, of course. And they had a lot of gimmicks apparently too. I guess one of the tricks that they would do is they would prop up a newspaper behind the block of ice in the store window to show, look how clear and magically (laughs) crystal our ice is. Are there no places in England where they can get ice as well? Well, so, I mean, as you can imagine, you need a place that is cold enough long enough out of the year and has enough fresh water. Mm. It actually comes from outside places to England originally. So let's back up a little bit. There's a man named Frederick Tudor, and he is a Bostonian. And like a lot of these man-with-a-vision type people, he was just a crazy guy and domineering and, you know, just one of these guys who would not take no for an answer and eventually alienated a lot of the people in his life, but struck it rich. So he is sort of the father of the modern ice industry. Hmm. And like a lot of these other businesses we've talked about, he not only had to come up with the product, but he had to create the entire infrastructure and then create demand for it as well. So he did. I mean, to his credit, he had this vision of shipping ice from tiny Lake Wenham, Massachusetts, literally around the world to every country you can imagine. It comes down to the insulation. And you wouldn't think that even in the 1800s that it could be so advanced, but he did. He developed an entire infrastructure getting it from the lake on insulated trucks into insulated ships across the ocean. One of the hurdles he had to face in shipping his ice around the world was getting getting ship owners to sign on to the idea. And a lot of them thought he was crazy. They're like, you want me to transport tons of ice across the ocean? It's going to be water when I get there, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, But he did. He convinced them, like, look, if we insulate it properly, we can do this. They tell a story that the very first shipment of the ice from Massachusetts to, to England was held up at the docks because the customs officials, they didn't know how to classify it. They're like, <laughs> is this a food stuff? Is this an industrial good? And yeah. the story goes that 300 tons of ice melted just waiting to be unloaded oh, from the ship no. there. But Frederick Tudor, you know, he, he smoothed out the process and got it to the point that it was so optimized. He could send ice that would survive.
survive a 130-day trip to India. Wow. And still arrive with two-thirds of the ice intact. Wow. So there was obviously going to be some melting yeah, along the yeah. way. But that was sort of, he figured if you can get it with two-thirds of it intact, it was enough, profitable enough to make the wow. entire endeavor worthwhile. Crazy. It is crazy. And it did, it literally took him years to get this industry up and running. Mm-hmm. But once he did, it did make him a very, very wealthy man. Uh, yeah. And so he had, of course, the stroke of genius of setting it up in England. And it was a, an exotic luxury. It had attained almost mythical status. Like people said, oh, the, the Wenham Lake ice, it melts more slowly than other ice. <laughs> it's got these magical properties. And no, it doesn't. Ice melts at the same temperature that all ice melts. Eventually, the Norwegians kind of uh, decided yeah. to as, wait. As you might imagine. Wait a minute. What do we have in abundance? <laughs> and we're a lot closer to England than uh, these Americans are. Dirt uh, so and with, ice. <laughs> uh, it sounds like within about a decade, the Norwegians kind of took over the the most of the ice business in England. Huh. There's a, a lake that I guess the Norwegians would mine their ice from was uh, Lake Opegard. And they actually, uh, in a very smart marketing move, renamed Lake Opegard Lake Wenham. Nice. <laughs> so wow. they could continue to supply, oh, this is ice from Lake, Lake Wenham. Wenham. Is this still called that today? Is That's it... a really good question, oh. whether Lake Opegard is still called Lake Wenham. That'd That's a fun. great question. But as may not surprise you, the ice industry really took off in America. Americans just went bananas for ice drinks, ice dishes, sure. ice yep. cream, all the things that we kind of take for granted as having cold. You had to have a way to get them from the source to the place yes. to have them or, cold. Or refrigerate in general. Like All Americans of, are that's right. really we're really paranoid about our refrigeration. We are. And I we love ice more than any other country, apparently. Yeah. But you know, the whole system of refrigerated railroad cars, you know, they're based on ice. If you believe this anecdote, Chicago did not get its first lobster until 1842. Okay. Because there was no way to get fresh seafood from yep. the coasts into Chicago mm-hmm. before the advent of refrigerated railroad cars, which mm-hmm. used ice. Mm-hmm. And so all these other industries, dairy and meat, and you can just imagine like how it opens up the world yeah. now that you can keep them cold mm-hmm. and they all have Frederick Tudor you know at its root to thank for this. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Did you read about how they used to insulate ice? Like did they just use a whole bunch of salt or yeah, like blankets well, or Yeah, so or apparently um, this was a, a boon for another industry as well. I guess he, uh, Tudor discovered pretty early on that sawdust was an amazingly efficient insulator huh. because it has just so much mm-hmm. air trapped in it. So he would just get crazy amounts of sawdust from sawmills and use that as insulation primarily. Mm-hmm in the shipping overseas. Wow. And of course, as I say today, Lake Wenham no longer used for ice, sadly. Oh, we should go get some. I mean, it's delicious. <laughs> it melts slower. Than yeah. <laughs> so I have a quiz. It's about cold places. Ooh. It's called Snow or No Snow. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll say a place, the name of a, a city in the world, and you tell me if it's ever snowed there. So, oh. yeah. Should we just do thumbs up, thumbs down? Thumbs yeah, up for yeah, snow. Yeah, everybody can participate. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Thumbs up for snow and thumbs down if mm-hmm. if no. No snow. All right. Oh. <laughs> Freezing rain is thumbs in the middle. Then this counts like, like even if it's once, then we count it as snow. Yeah, if it's been in recorded what? history. Because if it happened once, it's probably happened more than okay. once. Okay. Well, oh, really? Oh, so, interesting. So there's a few on here where it's, it's happened once <gasps> in recorded history, but it, it did happen and there were, there were pictures huh. of it. Okay. Let's start with Miami, Florida. Colin says yes. Karen says no. Chris says yes. Yes, it snowed in 1977. Whoa! Whoa! Once. 
It was a big deal. In had... Miami? Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. What about Las Vegas, Nevada? You can't do horizontal <laughs> stuff. No, no, I'm thinking. I'm going to say no. Colin says yes. Karen says yes. Chris says no. It did snow in 2008. Um, it snowed in Las Vegas, huh. Nevada. Because it does Deserts get, get cold. cold. It, yeah. yeah. But that's true. That's true. it's dry. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. Right. But it can happen. What about Key West, Florida? But that's close to Miami. Oh, this is tricky. <laughs> Everybody says no. Yeah, no. That's it's never snowed there. It's one of the only places in the United States where it's never snowed. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Or cities. We'll say cities. Right. Where it's never snowed. What about Tucson, Arizona? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, yes. It gets just, hot I'm... though. It gets. So Colin says no. Karen says no. Chris says yes. Yes. Mm. It actually, it's not that uncommon that it snows in Tucson. Oh, really? It happens. Some, yeah. But you see, like, the imagery of, of the South American yeah. Southwest. Yeah. It's, like, just so Tumbleweeds and cactuses yeah. and red rocks and, yeah. There's some really cool pictures of, like, looks totally like desert with cactuses, but then they're covered in snow. Mm. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. What about Sydney, Australia? Sydney, Australia. Mm. It's not bad with my, I mean, they're on the coast right con says no karen says no chris says yes yes it snows mm. in sydney it's not rare it does snow there what about honolulu hawaii well if it snowed in miami everybody yes. says yes but no but oh! no that's, that's oh! only other places in the united states <laughs> I know. well the, on the big island some of those mountains i remember yeah reading once that like oh, it had just, snowed in hawaii I was thinking too. hawaii in yeah, general yeah because yeah. yeah. all the mountains what about alexandria egypt hmm. oh it's by well they do have a lot of recorded history in alexandria egypt so if it ever happened that's they would have they would have written it down i like the way you think I want to subscribe to your newsletter. All right. Okay. So Colin and Chris say yes. Karen says no. Yes. It it snows. It's not that rare, actually. Uh, well, I mean, cool de- de- desert, again, just means precipitation, not temperature. Right. What about Rome, Italy? Oh, it's, yeah. It's got to have gotta snow. Right. Come on. Yeah, right? Come, Come on. on yeah. It's got to have snow there. You're right. It does have snow, but 2012 was the first time in 26 years that it snowed there. Huh. Oh. It actually doesn't really snow in Rome. Huh. All right, Manila, Philippines. Mm. Too polluted. <laughs> Everybody says no, no. Yeah, no snow in the Philippines. Uh, huh. <laughs> and last one, how about Hong Kong? Oh, man. Karen says no. Chris and Colin say yes. So it snowed a few times in recorded history and this goes back like hundreds of years oh, wow. <laughs> it, it also snowed like in the between 67 and 75 there were four reported times when it snowed there but it's super rare but it does I bet the snow is not like beautiful white kind of snow it's just like a bunch of pieces of ice I, you know what and, I mean and like, I, yeah and I bet those grapes are really sour <laughs> <laughs> zing <laughs> but the, the snow did speak both English and Chinese yeah, yeah. oh mm. it's very impressive mm-hmm. snow <laughs> cool good job this you guys before 1997 <laughs> or after <laughs> it was really fun to look at the different records of how long weather has been recorded in different places around the world it was how hundreds far of does years it go back world. oh hundreds of years yeah there's some places in China where they have like really old records of when it was snowing but in America it's mixed whether or not they're recording it right imagine yeah. that was your 
job. Look out the window. No snow. I think yes, they, snow. they might have a little more advanced methods than that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not a meteorologist. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of snow, it really is a fascinating and also a useful material, much like ice. The Inuit people um, mm. it, it used to be referred to uh, as Eskimos. That term has kind of fallen out of favor now. They have nothing but snow. So they, they've done a lot of thinking about how to use snow. Of course, everyone knows you can construct a dwelling out of snow called sure. an igloo. An igloo. Yes. These tribes tend to be somewhat nomadic, and then sometimes they'll go out on really long hunting expeditions. So these are not permanent dwellings. Okay. They can be, they can be semi-permanent. You know, you can set up shop for a while. And create a really good igloo if you want to, that you'll be in there for a little while. But it's not, it's not intended to. It's like to, a camping tent. It's not, it's not real estate. Okay. That you, yeah, exactly. Real they were not, estate. they were not affected by the housing market, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> you can build one, you know, while you're out hunting. So, how do you build an igloo? Yeah. Well, I watched a documentary video, the kind of like documentary film reel that they'd show kids in the 60s talking about <laughs> it. Real, real good stuff, which is the, the whole thing is just like, the Eskimo admires the white man's wooden dwelling, <laughs> yeah. but he will build his home no. from the snow. Yeah, well, you know, it's the 60s stuff. So this is what you do. You stand on the snow, and you start at your feet, basically. So you have to find, like, good, hard-packed snow. Okay. So you can't just go out, like, when a blanket of snow falls across our, our listeners in the East Coast when, you know, your, your yard in Massachusetts is covered in newly fallen snow. That is not, you can't just start building an igloo out of blocks of that. <laughs> it has to be like hard packed snow that's been there for a while and been blown by the wind and, you know, stomped all around, you know, so Weather not stomped day. on by okay. people, but like just, just compacted. a lot of snow that's been compacted and been there forever, you Lots know? moose have walked across it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seen a lot of moose tracks. Right. Well, pretty much the wind does it. The harsh, bitter winds of the, of the Arctic North. What you do is you just start cutting out blocks from where you're standing once you've found a place and you actually build the the whole igloo from the inside uh, and you start cutting down into the snow where you're standing. Oh, so you just start cutting down blocks. Like a sunken living room. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. you, you cut the blocks out and you can build a whole igloo from the blocks that you cut out from underneath your feet and you oh. actually do it all from the inside. So the first thing you do is you get the blocks with various sizes but the documentary I saw said two feet by three feet by four inch blocks of snow and oh. it holds together. Like it's so really? cold out there. You, mm. you, so they use, um, snow knives, they call them, used to be made out of like ivory, but now, as the documentary said, they will trade with the white man. <laughs> uh, trade him a fox pelt for his steel knife. And so it's just a long knife, and that's the only tool that you use to build an igloo with. Wow. So you cut the blocks out, and you just start popping them up on the snow, uh, and you, you make a circle of these blocks, having them sort of sitting vertically around you. And then, here's the key part of the construction. On about seven or eight of those blocks, you just cut a sloping surface. So you cut a gentle sloping surface so that one of the blocks is really low to the ground, and then it just sort of comes up in a sort of triangular fashion across about seven or eight blocks to the next one. That's all you got to do, because then you just start putting the blocks starting on that sloping surface, and what will happen is the blocks will spiral up towards Ah. the top at that point. So it's Hmm. flat sheets, more or less, just sort of in a ring around the edge. Yep. Interesting. Cutting the blocks from below you has the added benefit of lowering the floor and making the igloo larger, Mm -hmm. right? So you start doing that. You start building these blocks. One skilled Inuit guy can make a 
igloo by himself in 40 minutes. Wow. No! Yep. You make an awesome igloo all by himself, 40 minutes, just with a knife, cutting out blocks of snow and just packing them right up. Wow. You can do it for an overnight hunting shelter. You can do a longer stay, you know, one, a larger one. Yeah, that's my question people. is, like, how, yeah. how, how big is, like, the average igloo here? The, the quick one that you would do in 40 minutes could hold, like, two or three people, okay. basically. It's not super large. The interesting thing about this is you start packing the blocks up, and then the really, the tough part, I mean, not that cutting out blocks of snow in <laughs> Arctic, free, like 40 below <laughs> winds is not hard, but it's when you get to the top. Right. Because yeah. you get to the top, and, and those blocks up there, those are the keystones of the whole thing. Yeah. You know, those are the blocks that give it its structural integrity. Because it's only once you put those last blocks in the center that it all sort of, it all supports its own weight. Right. right. Again, this whole thing has been done at this point from the inside. And you look at the size of that last hole up there and you just have to push a block. Make it work. Up, you push a block up and out and you just start huh. cutting away at the, at the block with the knife to get it the right shape. So it just perfectly fits and lower it down. Now you've built yourself inside of it. So you cut a door out ah. and crawl out and that's your door. You cut yourself out, you come out and then you cover all the cracks with snow basically because huh. there's nothing else really to cover them with and then what will happen is it the igloo will melt a little and then refreeze and melt a little and refreeze and that makes it stronger yeah, it makes it much stronger you can but like once you build this thing out of the snow you can go stand on it a guy could stand on that igloo and it would be perfectly fine you put a hole near the door for air you put a hole near the ceiling for ventilation now the the, the sort of paradox of the igloo is like well it keeps you warm well right, how the heck does right. it keep you warm it's just a made bunch out of ice. snow yeah it's it blocks the wind, and yeah. that is a huge factor. Like, the wind chill can take you from, like, you know, zero degrees to, to negative 40, right, you know? Right. So it blocks all of the wind. It traps the heat that you generate, too, So it was right? an insulator, so ah. it traps your body heat, exactly. Mm-hmm. So all the heat that you generate stays in there. We all know about, of course, we've, we've seen Chili Willy on, on TV, right? <laughs> a little penguin living in an igloo with a, with a wood-burning stove right, inside right, the igloo because right. it's so cold. That is actually... You could do that if you wanted to. You probably can't have a whole wood-burning stove in there. But you can cook inside of an igloo. You can have a small fire in there, and it would be okay. The only danger is you have to have the vent hole. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That, that's it. It's not that it's, it's not you're going to melt the igloo. It's that you're going to suffocate Choke yourself in carbon monoxide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to have the vent hole. My vision of igloo is primarily informed by Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah, and things yeah, yeah. of that nature. Now, are they really that classic kind of they are. that shape that I see in so many cartoons? They are. Right. They, that, that half-sphere that hemisphere shape. That Absolutely. must be a structural thing. Well, I mean, it yeah, is. a dome. I mean, as yeah. you say, it has to support its own weight. And that's yep. the most solid. Uh, that's so pleasing, actually, to hear that it's actually the shape you see in it cartoons. It totally is. Because it again, never you, is. And, yeah. and you could see smoke coming up out of the vent hole. Like, wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know that they went under. Like, they were they were had a sunken you, area. Oh, yeah. Like, they, yeah. How yeah. deep is it? It's uh, just a couple so more feet like, down. Yeah, the thing that really got me was the fact that they could just build it in 40 minutes with a knife. That is amazing. Yeah. That kind of messes me up. That, yeah, if I tried to do that, you would find me dead 40 minutes later. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You stabbed yourself yeah. with a knife. Yep. Try to call your phone. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. He, we can see he got two thirds of the way through the block and then dialed 9 1 and died. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And let's take a break. A word from our sponsor, sung by Chris Kohler. Yay. <laughs> so divine. Go online. B O N O B O S. These pants look rad. Don't delay and see. 
we should have like a 17 minute opus edition of the bonobos jingle oh, yeah. you know like <laughs> like stairway to heaven yep. and then it goes into like guitar <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly like usc marching band yeah some mongolian throat singers i mean sitar the whole thing exactly and then like a choir just going pants give us some pants pants bonobos with like a slide with some Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the Chart Topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. So for this episode, I was thinking about cold things, um, and it made me think of like a lot of household common cures for colds or remedies, uh, right? Echinacea, chicken soup, vitamin C, you know, what your mom tells you to eat when you're sick. And turns out inconclusive right, whether right. these things work or not. But I did stumble upon an interesting medicine plant, and it's called Althea officinalis. And Althea means to heal in Greek. So this plant was used by the ancient Egyptians and also in Europe during the Middle Ages and also used in traditional Chinese medicine. The leaves, the flower, and especially the root, they all have like medicinal properties. But really, it's it's the root that's the big draw because it was used to soothe and cure sore throats, hmm. like when you get a cold. It also helps you breathe better. And a lot of recipes trickle down from the Middle Ages that called for using the root of this plant for a lot of cures. Another interesting property of the Althea plant, particularly the roots, is that it produces mucilage, which is mucus. Like, yeah, uh, it's like glue almost. Yep, gluey, gooey sap. And in many cultures, like the ancient Egyptians, they also use the sap in desserts or sweet treats. And so the secretion was used as a gelatinous agent. Hmm. So it's both medicinal and delicious in hmm. a way. Now, like, like cough syrup, like, <laughs> like cough syrup today. <laughs> now, you may know the Althea plant by its common name, and I'm going to give you a hint. Oh, huh. This is a famous quote from a famous movie. Here's the quote. <laughs> I try to think of the most harmless thing, something I loved from my childhood. Oh. The Althea plant is called the marshmallow. marshmallow. Huh. And the marshmallow candy indeed used the marshmallow plant and was named after 
the marshmallow plant. And like I said, in ancient Egypt, they used the sap as like a, like a gelatinous thing. So they would put nuts in. It wasn't until 1800s candy makers in France sweetened and whipped up uh, the gummy sap with meringue and flavoring Mm. and sugar. And it became more of what we know or recognize as marshmallow. And it was known as pâté de guimauve. And guimauve is the name of the marshmallow Ah. plant. And so, of course, uh, by the early 20th century, the marshmallow root extract was replaced by gelatin. Right, right. Mm, cheap huh. and ready. And there, and there is actually no real marshmallow at all if you no, buy it. not <laughs> yeah, today. It, it doesn't make your throat feel better. <laughs> and that's what a lot of old recipes say to give kids uh, some sort of candy or sweet treat made out of the mallow plant because it soothed their throat. Because it would actually do something. Mm-hmm, like a lozenge. That's really interesting. So there you go. Huh. So, you know, talking about just cold, extremes, environments that humans have to go and deal with the conditions there, I think one of the the most iconic, harsh conditions that we think of a cold is outer space. Like, just in so many movies and TV shows, it's just like the harsh, frigid, you know, depths of being out there. And that's sort of true, that... If you were floating out in space, you <laughs> you would generally feel cold. And in fact, outer space, you talk about it being very, very cold. So this is sort of a preemptive um, actually, yeah. which is... It's funny. When I think of space, I don't think of cold. I just think of being turned inside out because of <laughs> event horizon. <laughs> totally like, there are a lot of other problems with space. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as you guys know, space is is essentially a vacuum. Um, it is a near-perfect vacuum. So there, there's nothing there. There's no particles. There's no mass. There's no matter. So there is nothing to be moving. There is no temperature. It's not cold. It lacks a temperature. Ah. So that is the... That's a hard concept. It is a hard concept. So mm. let's just all agree that we'll continue to do talking about it as cold, which is what most people do. (laughs) Space is cold for the purposes of this conversation. You would perceive it as being cold. Uh, Yes, that's right. And if you were floating out there, they talk about sort of the quote background temperature of outer space is negative 450 degrees. So, I mean, it is apparently cold. Yes. Mm -hmm. Given enough time out there, things radiate away heat. But Again, it's tough to get your mind around the fact that because it is a near vacuum, you know, like a thermos, a vacuum is a very poor conductor of heat. So hot things out in space actually stay hot for a very long time compared to what they would on Earth in a normal atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So if you had a superheated chunk of metal, let's say, it'll stay hot for a good while. You know, I always had this image as a kid, and maybe you guys did too, that the spacesuit for astronauts, like it's there to keep you from just freezing to death. And, you know, we have this Mm -hmm. image, as you say, Dana, of so many movies are shows the person goes out the airlock and their head explodes or they they turn inside out or they just just disappear into this bloody icy mist that actually is not what would happen your your body (laughs) that's in my nightmares i know my tooth like like that last scene of total recall when his eyeballs are about to pop out so is it worse than that? <laughs> yeah, well, it no, it isn't. It really what actually happens is your brain liquefies and then, <laughs> then you drink it comes out of brain. your ears. <laughs> you drink your own brain. It's not nearly as bad as the movies make you think. Like, in fact, you die though. You would die if you were out exposed in outer space. But it, it, actually, the most dangerous thing to you is just lack of oxygen. You would die from lack of oxygen before the temperature, before the pressure, before really? anything else. Yeah, mm. you would go unconscious within about 15, 20 seconds. Uh, they say that the human body actually is is pretty well conditioned against pressure like they do say you would bloat but you wouldn't burst apart it would be uncomfortable but your your skin is pretty well protected against a vacuum Mm -hmm. they say like in order it's lack of oxygen 
eventually the pressure, not that you would explode, but when you're in lower pressure, things boil more quickly. Blood would boil in wow. space and not boiling in the way that we think no. of like the temperature goes up, but because there's no pressure in a vacuum, vapors come out of solution. Oh, like yes. the bends. It's exactly like the bends, right? Okay. That's, yeah. So you would have, you would have nitrogen bubbles coming into your blood. And again, the combination of the lack of heat and the pressure means that the water in your blood would vaporize and come out. And <gasps> everyone who ta- who writes about this says, thankfully, you would be unconscious at this point from hypoxia, <laughs> from right. lack of oxygen. <laughs> the one piece of advice that uh, everyone seems to give is Don't if you find yourself in a vacuum, you know, <laughs> if you find yourself about to go out of a spaceship okay. into outer space with no protection, make sure you exhale. Do not hold your breath. Because if you hold your breath, you go out into the vacuum of space, your lungs will rupture because the pressure differential will cause them to expand. You, your lungs will rupture and then send ice vapor throughout your body. Oh, not okay. not oh. a good way to go. But no. they say that if you actually completely deflate your lungs, you can survive temporarily in a pure vacuum like that. They There have been stories. Well, like you need to. Oh, I mean, we're talking like under a minute or 90 yeah, seconds. So at, the absolute, at the yeah. absolute outside, we're looking at like a minute. This, they t- this might color my nightmares a little bit. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'll get out of it. Either. Well, but I thought you would feel better that your head isn't going to explode or turn inside it out. Does. Yeah, and I'm like <laughs> having my lungs rupturing. Like, remember, got to breathe out, breathe out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really kind of shattered all these images that I had. That it's just the the cold depths of space is going to freeze you to death, and you're just this frigid you know, body-shaped chunk right. of ice. And no, it's actually not true. You don't need to worry about the cold so much as the pressure. Hmm. Man, the human body and cold temperatures is so fascinating. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. It's a little personal. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's cold outside, do you have to pee more or pee less? <laughs> <laughs> uh, pee, pee more. I feel, I feel like I have to pee more. Yeah, you probably do. There's really? this thing called, yeah, cold diuresis. And it basically is all of your blood vessels are constricting, trying to keep the warmth into your core. Mm. And then your brain triggers your kidneys, though, because they're like, oh, the pressure is too high. And your kidneys process your blood faster and take some of the liquid out. So it makes you hmm. pee huh. faster. And then once you get warm again, you might feel dehydrated because you actually mm. did dehydrate yourself. Hmm. Your kidneys stripping some of the fluid out of Oh, I thought it was yeah. like... If it's hot outside, then you sweat a lot more, and then that way you don't have to pee that much to to evacuate liquids. Uh. Well, when it's cold, you don't sweat, so you have more liquid to get out of your body. That was my that yeah. Was my... No, it's the constricting blood vessels. Hmm. Yeah. I always remember like going camping. You know, they would tell us like make sure you go pee before we go to sleep for the night because oh, yeah. like when you're out in the night, they would say like your body wastes so much energy keeping your pee warm. Don't keep it inside you. Oh, get it out of your system so you will be warmer at night when you're camping. Huh. And it makes a lot of sense. Wow. Don't warm your pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why your body's Warm yourself. Telling. Yeah. <laughs> PSA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pee often, pee <laughs> Pee early, pee off. Yeah. Yeah. Friends let friends pee. <laughs> Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Wheel of urine. 
Pat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Okay, well, the cold episode has come to a frigid close, and uh, I've got I've got a, a music round that has nothing to do with the cold or ice. There are no foreigner songs in here whatsoever. Um, I thought about that, but I decided not to. The running joke, of course, about Chris music rounds is that I just go from the exact same pool of artists that I really like all the time. It's a small pool. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you got right, James yeah. Taylor. Yeah, or... right. There you go. Um, and so uh, I am making no bones about that whatsoever for this quiz. You are going to hear clips performed by, I will give you the artists that you're going to hear these clips mm. performed by. They are in no particular order. Uh, James Taylor, Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> The Beach Boys, Amy Winehouse, Adele, and The Beatles. That's the most um, Chris list I've ever heard. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, these are tracks performed by those six artists in All some right. order or another. Now, here's the thing. You, you, I want you to try to identify who it is. It probably is going to be pretty easy because you have a list. But the tough part, the actual real question is, who are they covering? Okay. These are okay. all cover songs. All right. Who are these bands covering? So the original artist of the song that they are yes. performing. Yep. You, you need both. Yep. I need, I want both. All right. The first part's going to be easy. Maybe. First part should be easy. <laughs> okay. Uh, so here is the first clip. Who is performing of the list I gave you and who are they covering? All right. Well, um, I think that was Karen first. That was Johnny B. Good. Mm-hmm. It was Beatles is performing it. Yes. 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 So that's from your list. And the original artist was Chuck Berry. That's yep. correct. Yeah. Yes. yes. A young John Lennon there singing it sounded like. Wow. That's right. Yep. That's right. Okay. Next one. Here we go. I close my eyes because then I don't see the love you don't feel your home with me morning will come and now do what's right who sang this original Dana I think this is a Bonnie Raitt song performed by Adele. You are absolutely yes. correct. Yes. Huge Child hit for Bonnie Raitt. Lights. I can't yep. make you yep. love me if you can't don't. You yep. 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 Huge hit covered by Adele. Moving right along. Taylor. James Taylor. Taylor. Who's he covering? Man, is it like. What's the song? Come what me. Well, what's. I don't even know the song. I want to say like 80s pop. Am I in the right? You are not in the right. You are cold. Bee Gees? Um, 
you know, he he really changed the arrangement up, yeah, and it's tough did. if you if you don't know it. But that is one of Buddy Holly's most famous oh. songs. Every day, oh, it's, wow. a lot, oh, yeah, it's a lot yeah. peppier when That's Buddy total, Holly sings yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. Yep. It's Frankie Valley and the Forest. It's not Frankie Valley. We get this guy a lot in trivia, or I think we've talked about him. It's not Bobby Darren. Nope. Smokey Robinson. It's not Smokey Robinson. Oh, you'll hit yourself when I when I tell you. It's a good one to know. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. It's not Benny King. Perry Cole. Is it Otis Redding? It's not Otis Redding. (sighs) Cupid was actually a very famous song for Sam Cooke. Oh yes. There you go. I was trying to memorize Sam Cooke because he does come up in trivia. He does. Oh, we were dancing Uh, all around him there. All right. Now, for the next couple of these, I'm going to give you a little hint. Um, In the list of artists that I gave you at the beginning, both the band Mm. that is performing and the original band that they are doing a cover of were in that list. All right. So this is... Chris' favorite band incest time. <laughs> the snake is eating its tail. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, okay. so here is one. Colin. All right. Well, they are covering the Beatles. They certainly I are. Love away. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, I'm just well, process of elimination. Not it's not Adele. It's I. Not is it the Beach Boys? It sure is. It's from the Beach Boys <laughs> nice. party. They're wow. Covering. You've got to hide your love away. That really does not sound like the Beach Boys. Yep. And one more. This well, is the. It sounded like the audience singing. Right. Right. <laughs> oh well, the Beach Boys party album. Yeah, they had a bunch of. It was uh, like they were having a party. I would not have guessed that singing. without your clue. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So here is the last one. Remember the clue. Remember also that this is the tough one. So if any listeners get this on the first try, you get the prize. There is no prize. <laughs> the prize is I will think about you for thirty seconds. Wow, that's mm-hmm. a long time. That's enough for a restraining order in some states. about the rhythm of this song that makes my heart feel oh. weird like i'm like i feel like it's giving me a rhythm yeah karen the artist performing is fleetwood mac yes and they are covering the beach boys they are oh. that is fleetwood mac covering farmer's daughter the oh. beach boys song yep really it wasn't because i recognized it it was basically process of elimination. <laughs> well, again, you know, I gave you the tools. Yeah, I could have just all thrown you to the wolves, but no. yeah. I like, I like how you're embracing your, your oh, knowledge. Yeah. All right, and that is our show. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learn a lot about what to do when you're in space. <laughs> <laughs> Exhale, that's very important, about marshmallow 
about peeing uh, when it's cold, <laughs> about how to make an igloo. That yeah. might be handy one day. And you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our site, goodjobbrain.com. And visit our sponsor at bonopus.com. And we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Bye. Keep warm. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.